Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. We're glad you're listening. And Father, my prayer is that tonight every person here would experience your love, that they would experience your presence, God, that they would know that you are good and that you are for them, that you love them, and that you desire to walk with them and to be close. Holy Spirit, I thank you for indwelling us. I thank you for always being with us and for leading us in all truth. And I know sometimes it's hard to put our eyes to see the truth, to get to see the truth through our circumstances, but I thank you, God, for your comfort and your love. And I pray that you would give us the strength and the ability to, to see your love and your goodness. I thank you for everybody that's here, for everybody that's going to participate in this time together. I ask your blessing on us, Father, that your name would be lifted high, that you would be glorified, that you would enjoy us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We sing um, songs that we'll sing tonight because we have a God who is compassionate and a God who listens and loves us in our brokenness and in our fear and in our doubt and in our pain. And so whether you uh, sing with words or with tears or with your heart, uh, I invite you to uh, connect with the lyrics and seek God uh, through these songs. Mourner's prayer. 
I want to welcome everybody today, and I want to thank you all for coming. And I need to lean back a little bit. Um, I want to say that I know it takes a lot of courage to face and feel your pain, and I want to commend you for, for doing that. And I want you to know that this is a safe place here. On September 3rd of this year, uh, the man of my dreams broke up with me in an angry text message, and um, I totally didn't see that coming. Um, we had been planning to get married the whole time. We were shopping for a home and looking forward to all that fun stuff. Um, I knew we had a lot of problems, but I guess I was naive and foolish, and I thought that somehow God would miraculously work everything out. Um, but uh, after I got that text message, I uh, felt like a tornado of emotion came over me. Um, I felt shocked, blindsided, confused, scared, sad, heartbroken, devastated, pain, grief, but also a big sense of relief as well. Uh, soon after that, I, uh, my friend drove me to a beautiful park, and I was surrounded by God's beautiful creation, and I was pouring out my heart to God in prayer. Um, and I said, Lord, my heart's dreams are shattered again. I know in my head that you're a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That you're close to the brokenhearted. But I need to feel it in my heart. I need to know that you understand how I feel. I said, Lord, have you ever had your heart broken? I thought maybe, you know, maybe he had a girlfriend or a secret crush or somebody broke his heart. I mean, there are many years of his life that we don't know anything about. Uh, but I said, Lord, I just, I need to know that you understand how it feels to have your heart broken. And I waited with tears for his response. And I'll never forget what he said to my spirit. He said, yes, I have. I have had my heart broken billions of times because every time that any one of us chooses not to trust him completely with our pain or with anything else we break his heart and i said yes i get it you know how i feel you understand how it feels to have your heart broken When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane hours before his life ended, he had to choose whether he was going to go to the cross and die for all of us and suffer the most 
horrific death, more than any of us could ever imagine. And the Bible says that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Another version says that he was crushed with grief. Are you feeling that way today? Well, I want you to know that we have a savior who knows exactly how you feel. And what's more, he went to the cross so that you wouldn't have to feel alone when you feel this way. And I want you to know that at the end of the grieving, there is hope and good news. The Bible also says that weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He says that he will turn our mourning into dancing and he will give us beauty for ashes. But the interesting thing is, before we can get to the dancing and the joy and the beauty, we have to go through the mourning and the weeping. After the breakup, I was struggling not to fall into pits of despair. And had it not been for my wonderful counselor who's here with me today, and the wonderful women in Katina's wonderful grief recovery group, I don't know that I would have made it through that time. Um, grief groups don't sound like a lot of fun. And I have to admit that Yes, when you go to a, a grief recovery group, you have to feel your feelings and face your pain. Um, but I also want you to know that there was so much love and support and laughter and precious friendships were formed in that time. <clears throat> and at the end of it, I was able to let go of that pain and move on to love and joy and peace and healing and wholeness and all those things that we all desperately need and were created to experience. And I think that attending that grief recovery group was one of the healthiest choices I've ever made for myself. And to be honest, I think that I found more healing after those two months than I did in decades, a lifetime of counseling that I experienced before then. And I'm grateful for counseling, but I'm also grateful that I don't have to spend the rest of my life walking around feeling in pain and talking about it over and over again, that I can move past that to freedom and to the abundant life that Jesus died to give every one of us. You see, when we're in pain, we have to make a choice. We have to make one of two choices. We can either stay stuck in our pain, hold it inside, which may seem like the safer choice, but then those wounds fester and they grow and they spread and we stay in bondage and in heartache for the rest of our lives. And we also, hurt the people around us without even meaning to. And we also break the heart of God. On the other hand, we can choose the other kind of pain, the pain that goes along with grieving and healing and facing and feeling our pain and letting God walk through that with us safely out the other side. And I think the key to this healing has to do with vulnerability. I think a lot of us are scared to be vulnerable, but I also think that vulnerability is the key to intimacy and everything that we truly long for in life. And intimacy is about being seen and heard and known for who we really are. It's about being loved and accepted and valued, taking the masks off, 
exposing our pain and our fear and our shame and our secrets to the light of love so that we can be healed. I think it's strange that when I look back over my life, the memories and the times that I cherished the most were actually the most painful times in my life, the times when I lost somebody that I loved and I was devastated and all I could do was hold on to Jesus for dear life because it was in those times that I got to know him and his love more than any other times. And I found that his love is so sweet and gentle and tender, but it's also so strong and sturdy and stable. And I found in those times that I could make it through anything that life threw my way because he would be with me. And I, I learned that what the Bible says is true, that his loving kindness is really better than life. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, and one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to make his home in your broken heart and give your heart a home. He wants to be your safe place, your refuge, and your soft place to fall, and be with you in good times and bad. <clears throat> So I encourage you, when you have a heavy heart, when you're grieving, when your heart is broken, open your heart up to the love of God. Let his light come in and heal you. And trust safe people to walk alongside of you on this journey. Jesus came to, and died to heal every broken heart. And my hope and prayer for every one of you is that you, you allow him to do that for you. Thank you and God bless you. One of the hardest things about grieving is the empty feeling of being disconnected from others who do not understand what you are feeling or where you're coming from. When I experienced my grief, I found that my relationships began to spiral down. I felt resentment. I felt alone. I even felt anger at some of the things people were saying to me, especially things like, God has a purpose. This is all happening for a reason. It will all work out. I didn't want someone to brush me off or give me a line because I was there, and I knew it wasn't working out. And I felt that if God were doing this to me for a reason, I needed to understand what it was. And even more than that, I felt I didn't know how to forgive a God who was doing this to me on purpose. I had a really close friend tell me that I was believing lies by continuing to grieve the loss of my baby and continually grieving something that God wanted me to just get over. And that I needed to let it go and start believing the truth. The truth being that I should be happy no matter what I lost. The truth being that I didn't love or trust God enough to let it go. The truth kind of being that I was a bad Christian. And here's the awful thing about grieving. It very often puts you in a place where other people cannot be there for you. So here you are in the most needy and vulnerable position you will ever be in. And yet that very position is blocking the people around you from getting close when you need it the most. And I have been there. But in this place, I found out things I never knew. And I finally understood what the people I'd been trying to help must have felt when I dispensed my quick-draw, cheap advice, when I thought way more about what I would say next than what they were saying. Because that is the way most people approach grieving people, myself included. We were poised to administer our advice, poised to fix the problem, even poised to get away from the problem. Because let's face it, problems are uncomfortable. 
But then something happened. I met other grieving people. I learned some things from them. And I stopped focusing on what I would say next. And I learned a specific truth. If you want to help others and yourself, you have to get comfortable with not knowing what to say. You have to get comfortable with not knowing everything. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I'd been thinking about how people just really don't do this. I think it's partly because they perceive themselves to have answers or they feel compelled to find answers or they feel like they need to have answers. But the two most common reactions I receive from churched people are um, telling me to pray or telling me that they're praying for me or giving advice based on a limited understanding of God and scripture, which usually ends up falling flat because the person is in a lot of pain and the words feel like wounds. But there is another way to support people. It's called holding space. And it's the lifeblood of relationship. Without it, a little life source may surge into a relationship, but it will not be enough to keep it alive. Holding space is the art of being emotionally present for someone without judgment, without striving, and actually participating in their journey with them. It's not giving advice. It's not telling them what they're doing wrong. It's not barely listening to their heart only to race ahead to find out what you're going to say. It is creating an environment where people can explore and find their own answers and providing a container for the most raw and the most varied of emotions. Holding space is about allowing a situation to unfold without fueling the emotions that may be part of it. Holding space is trusting that by allowing the person to express their emotions freely, their deeper healing is at work. You don't need to do it. Anything you say while holding space must be free from your judgments about them and their situation. We all need a judgment-free container for our raw and varied emotions. And we all need to be that for someone else. And we need a judgment-free container when we come to God because if we start projecting our human relationships onto our relationship with God, it will drastically change our relationship with him. So this is a message that I read recently that had a deep impact on that. Often in Christianity and in our culture, it feels as if people speak of prayer as a quid pro quo exchange with God. We give God prayers and God gives what we want. Because the simple exchange doesn't work, then we sometimes nuance the exchange. If enough people pray on our behalf, then we'll get what we want. Years ago, a friend of mine expressed relief that a hurricane bypassed his city. He said, my church prayed hard, and the storm made landfall north of us. The church was saved. He genuinely felt the prayers of his congregation steered the storm northward. But all I could think was, of the poor schmucks who lived where the hurricane hit, if only they'd asked their friends to pray. To me, this idea of prayer as a numbers game makes our petitions into a contest like American Idol. Contestants win because enough people call, text, or message on their behalf. But prayer is not like that. Prayer often, though always, not always, brings me to a place of settled peace. It's this experience in the midst of prayer that matters to me. I'm sure that I should have some fancy theological word for what prayer means to me, but for years I've known more what prayer was not for me than what it was. I knew it when I saw it, which is why the phrase holding space felt like a revelation when I heard it. One of the best explanations of this term comes from Heather Plett. She began her explanation with a story. When my mom was dying, my siblings and I gathered to be with her in her final days. None of us knew anything about supporting someone in her transition out of this life into the next, but we were pretty sure we wanted to keep her at home. While we supported mom, we were in turn supported by a gifted care nurse, Anne, who came every few days to care for my mom and talk to us about what we could expect. She taught us how to inject mom with morphine. She offered to do the difficult tasks. And she gave us only as much information as we needed about what to do with mom's body after her spirit passed. 
Take your time, she said. You don't need to call until you're ready. When you're ready, call, and they will come to pick her up. Anne gave us an incredible gift in those final days. Though it was an excruciating week, we knew we were being held by someone who was only a phone call away. Plett went on to describe Anne as someone who was holding space for her and her family on their hospice journey. This term works for all kinds of journeys. It means the kind of support that offers guidance without judgment, creating an environment where people can explore and find their own answers, and it provides a container for the most raw and varied of emotions. It's a way to approach relationships, but it's also a way to approach prayer. I often find myself praying at the sides of hospital beds, and I usually begin those prayers nearly the same way every time. Holy One, we lift up into your care. Beyond whatever words I say, the prayer seeks God to hold the person. I try not to pray for outcomes, but to invoke God's presence. Most, my most profound moments of prayer don't come from finding a desire met, they don't come from getting what I asked for, but instead the most spiritual moments come from a deep awareness of being held by God. I don't pray to direct the path of the hurricane. I pray so that when the hurricane hits, I won't feel alone. Another author further helped me understand this concept when she wrote, holding space is about allowing things to unfold and trusting that the person's deeper healing is at work. Holding space for one another matters spiritually. It develops in us the capacity to care for someone without determining what we think is best for them, to be present without judging, and to hold but not control. And I think that's the way God loves us. And so prayer becomes a chance for us to try and love like God loves us. God does not need my laundry list of ideas and neither do other grieving people. God doesn't need my directions, and neither do they. But what I need is that holding space, that open space where I can be known and accepted without judgment. And so I pray because it opens that holding space for me. And I pray because it opens that holding space for others. Alleluia. Amen. We're gonna do some candle lighting. Um, and I, I woke up the other night, I've had a cold, and um, I snore when I have a cold. Don't tell anyone. Um, but I was sleeping on the couch, and from my couch I could hear my foster son, who's two, screaming. And he started out screaming, Mom! from his crib, and I'm like, well, if I ignore it, maybe he'll calm. Maybe he'll calm himself. Let's just hold out a minute. And then I heard him go, Dad? Dad, come and get me. Dad! And I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's obviously not going to calm himself. But I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Like, my foster son is not my adopted son yet, but he has confidence in, in our response, that when he calls for us, that we'll come, that when he wakes us from our sleep, we won't come like a crazy mom that I sometimes am. Why? What do you want for the millionth time? What do you want? But that I'll come, and I'll come in his room, even though he woke me up when I have a cold and I'm snoring, and I'll be like, honey, what's the matter? Do you need Vicks? Let, let me pray with you. Let me rock you for a minute. I'm here. You're safe. It's okay. He didn't question whether he belonged to us, even though he's not adopted yet. He knew in confidence that we would hear his cry and respond with kindness and love and compassion. And we don't do it perfectly because obviously I'm human. But that's what this is all about right here, these candles. <clears throat> I'm going to light this center candle, and it is to represent, um, it represents that this is Christmas time and that we have an Emmanuel, a God with us, 
that when we as children, messy children with sometimes messy diapers, scream out to him in the night, lost and confused and struggling with our identity and our belonging, that he'll respond not with nastiness or frustration or anger that we don't have it together, but with kindness and gentleness. And there are parts of each of us that need to know and feel the presence of Emmanuel. And so I'm inviting you to come and light a candle like a child in need of loving, compassionate response from Emmanuel. So if you know someone who you've been praying for to feel that, or, or in memory of someone. Everyone has something that could use a touch of restoration and healing. Come and light a candle. shelter in 
the storm the troubles pour upon me Fears arising like a flood, my soul can rest securely. Oh Jesus, I will hide in you, my place of peace and solace. Your trial is deeper than your love, it comforts all my sorrow. have a shelter in the storm when all my sins accuse me Lord, justice charges me with guilt your grace will not refuse me oh jesus i will hide in you before my condemnation Find my refuge in your words, for there I find salvation. I have a shelter in the storm, where constant winds would break me. For in this weakness I have learned, your strength will not forsake me. Oh, Jesus, I will hide in you, the one who bears my burdens. With faithful hands that cannot fail, you bring me home to heaven. Oh, Jesus, I will hide in you, the one who bears my burdens. Faithful hands, please do not fail and bring me home to heaven. I have a shelter in the storm when troubles pour upon me. No fears arising like a flood. My soul will rest securely. I'm not really in the throes of sadness myself right now. Um, this time last year, Mary and I had been waiting. We were actually classified as a waiting family because we were waiting for um, a birth mom to choose us and hopefully a little girl or little boy to be placed in our home. And uh, praise God that has happened. Um, and so mostly this has been a very happy year, maybe the most happy year that I can remember in my own life. Um, but six weeks after Austin was born, uh, my aunt Hope passed away. And um, my aunt Hope was a lot like a mom to me and my brothers. And she loved us uh, very, very much. And we loved her too. Um, and so there's been a lot of tension in my life this year with the super high high and the super low low of those two things happening um, so close together. Um, I apologize to anybody who thought that this service might be actually an hour long. We are going way over that at this point. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to thank um, Katina and Doug and um, Renew for having this space because I think this is really important. I think, I think God um, speaks to us the loudest um, in our grief. Um, and I think, yeah, the space is important and I appreciate you guys doing this. Um, so I actually have a couple poems that I wrote. Um, they're both called Hope. Uh, my aunt's name who passed away was Hope. Um, and in a lot of ways, that was a very fitting name. Um, but the first is parenthetically called uh, Work in Progress. So here goes. Hope was a work in progress just like all of us. Hope is a work in progress just like all of us. I want to love the way she did, to cheer and scream and jump out of planes for friends the way she did. Hope wasn't done yet. 
She never did get her spare room cleaned up, never did lose the weight, never did find her man. She never did pay those cards off, never did shake that loneliness, hit every shore point in Jersey. Hope was a work in progress just like all of us. And man, have I seen how those things don't matter in light of keeping Thanksgiving when Grammy wasn't able to, being the friend and the support in 100 people's lives, sponsoring kids in Africa since she was 20 years old and in debt herself, loving with a whole, whole heart, me specifically. I love my Aunt Hope, I'm so happy for her, yeah, but I miss her for my own sake and I'm third in line at best. Her life is an inspiration to me. I'm not the way she was on my own. I take myself too seriously, I think. Don't love so quickly, fiercely, or loudly. Hope was a work in progress just like all of us. But God has grace for works in progress, I'm sure of it. If creation is ongoing, then we always will be. But if he made you and me, he can't hate us for it. We're made for work, and we're made for progress, and not for death. I'm happy for hope, and I will see her again complete. And the second one is called Hope, parenthetically, the well. <clears throat> there is a well at the junction of heaven and earth where people go to find hope. I've been there, we all have. Hope is one of the good, good things we all always seek. Doesn't matter where you come from, what you have or what you've gained, what gifts are we given to stranglehold? What's best kept all to yourself? I come to the junction by myself, but I'm not alone here. I'm not alone anywhere, not by my own doing, but because I am loved so, so much, it's embarrassing. That brings me back to hope. I gain years of wisdom in a day. I speak in code not because I don't want you to understand. Use your mind. This longing that exists in you is evidence of something, hope is evidence, and there's hope at the well. There's hope here. This place is fleeting, our things are fleeting, our hair, our youth, our lives are fleeting. This is the place where moth and rust destroy, a place where immigrants halt and hunt and kill and hate immigrants, where dollars for me means a useless planet for my son, where we eat poison every day and where the richest this earth is seen because it tastes good and costs pennies and so let's kill ourselves a bite at a time. And yeah, there's moth and rust and wolves dressed like sheep, but sometimes it's us that's all these things. Sometimes I am all these things. This world, it's hard. I think it's a challenge on purpose because I think this isn't it. There's more. I didn't say hope was proof, but ask yourself where it comes from. Come to the well. And then I actually wanted to share one more, which um, was my poem from last year this time. Because um, it was really meaningful for me to go back and uh, see what I shared at this thing last year. And to end things on a little bit more of a positive note. Um, but um, this one's called, There's Worse Things Than Waiting On Something Great. There's worse things than waiting on something great. It's fine. I'm fine. We're fine. Our story's just different than that. And that. That. 30 grand on a signed check waiting like us. Changing table and outlet covers waiting like us. Aging family aging like us. There's worse things than waiting on something great. You're gonna be a great mom, I can't wait. This kid's so loved already, I can't wait. Maybe some sports or music in the blood, I can't wait. Maybe some color will finally come to Whitesville, I can't wait. Our story's just different. He does have good things for us, more yet. He's asking our patience and trust. We'll keep trying. There really are worse things than waiting on something great.
take these tainted hands, wash me in your Even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. Even when I have no soul, I'll praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words louder than I'll sing your praise. I will only sing your praise. I will only sing your praise. Take this mountain weight. Take these ocean tears. Hold me through the trial. Come like hope again. Even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. Even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. Even when it makes no sense to sing louder than I'll sing your praise. I will only sing your praise. I will only sing. Katina, for those of you who don't know me, I go to church here at Renew. Um, I'm going to keep this very brief because we are going way over. Um, <clears throat> okay. So this morning, here's another two-year-old story. Sorry. <laughs> so 
sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> this morning, as I was potty training um, and holding my two-year-old's hands as he's using the bathroom, he um, started examining my arms. It was really cute. Um, and so, like, his little fingers came and touched my mole on my shoulder. What's that, Mommy? Um, and then he pointed at my freckles and said, what are those? I said, those are freckles. You know, and then he looked at my tattoos and he's like, ooh, they're colorful. That's a snowflake. That's a bird. You know, and he's, like, examining me. And, um... As he was doing that, and it was cute, he has these big, beautiful brown eyes, I, um, I noticed the scars on my arms. And um, they've been there for about 20 years, and I don't notice them very much anymore. Um, but scars, we like to hide them. Uh, we like to pretend that they're not there, that we haven't been places that we had no business being in, or um, that we haven't been damaged, or broken, or jaded, or harmed. We like to pretend that that doesn't happen, or at least we like to lock it up and hide it in the closet somewhere. Um, but the truth of the matter is we all have scars. Um, life is sometimes hard. It's not easily explained, and especially when you go through some really gut-wrenching, rip-your-heart-in-half things, you learn that you can't just make sense of it. You can't just throw a little dust, fairy dust on it and make it better. Um, at first, when he was touching my arms and I noticed my scars, I felt embarrassed. I felt a little bit of shame, like I was reminded that there has been a time in my life where I was super isolated. I was so depressed. I was so fearful. I felt betrayed, and I struggled with my faith. And I don't like being reminded of that. I don't, especially first thing in the morning. Well, I'm potty training at that. Um, <clears throat> but you know what? As I was sitting down later thinking about it, um, I thought to myself, you know what, though? When I was in that place, in that dark, ugly pit of despair, that was the first time I heard your voice. And um, the interesting thing about that is I felt so disqualified to ever hear anything from God in that place that I was in. I had friends that turned their back on me. I had religious people tell me that I was worshiping the enemy and that I had no hope in me whatsoever. I had people who thought that I thought I could trust betray me, and it was a disaster. My life was a mess. I had landed myself in a very ugly place. And then when, when all of the people that I had depended on had left me, I hear this little sweet, gentle voice say, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, Katina. And it was, it was not a, like, I'm going to preach to you and tell you all the reasons why you really suck right now and how I'm horribly embarrassed as your father. Like, I thought that we could really, like, do some beautiful things together, and now look what you've done. You're useless. It wasn't that at all. It was this, like, gentle touch on my shoulder. In my scariest place, it was him saying, Honey, I'm here. Sweetheart, I love you. Really? Me? Because everyone else thinks I'm a mess right now. He didn't point out the things that I had already known. He was so gentle and so kind to me. I can't explain it, and I had never known it before. And I've been a Christian almost all of my life. And so I, I'm like, okay, really? You haven't given up? And um. 
I just, I don't know. I just, I, I want to say that what I'm not saying is there weren't angels that appeared in this mental hospital. They didn't break me out. They didn't lift me up in like a golden haze of like angelic amazingness. They didn't break me out. Like they didn't like miraculously heal all of the women there that were totally out of their minds. Like this was not like a, a miracle experience that you think, that you hope for, that you pray for, this like radical redemption story where like, ah, like I'm a whole new being. It was messy. It took a long time. My healing journey is still a journey. And I, you know what though? He has never abandoned me. He's never been embarrassed of me, discouraged or disappointed, like everybody, you know, like the other people. Um, <laughs> so um, I just wanted to say that, like, there are times when we think that our pain, our suffering, our struggle, our mental illness, our disability, um, our loss has disqualified us from being in this family. And I'm here to tell you that that's not at all true. That he does his best work with the people who struggle, who can't walk in heels, who trip, who fall, who know so fully well that they cannot do it on their own. And I am the queen of that. Like, I struggle. And I still have really, really dark times. And I still wonder why he hasn't answered those prayers like he should have. And I'm not perfect, and, I, and, and still he's faithful and he's good. And I, my, I, I was thinking of Psalm 139, 7 through 12, and it goes, well, I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. Where can I go from your presence? And it's this idea of the psalmist trying. I don't know why, but like there's nowhere to go to get away. And this, it's this relentless love that we're so unfamiliar with. We just, our human minds can't grasp the idea that, that an almighty, loving, beautiful, gentle, compassionate, humble God can stoop low to lift us up when I'm in a mental hospital, of all places. So I just want you to know that you can't get away, that he's relentless, that no matter what you've done, what you beat yourself up about, or the discouragement that you're feeling, or how you struggle with him, sometimes argue with him, sometimes wonder about his ways, it doesn't scare him away. He fully knows who he is. He's pretty confident, and I really like that about him. He fully knows who he is, and he fully knows who you are. And when you are in his presence, your whole identity changes. And I'm not going to say it's going to be miraculous in the way you expect it, but to feel his presence in your darkest moment, now that's miraculous. Um, so... That's all I have to say. Um, and yeah, like I want you to know that you are all deeply valued and no matter what your story is or what your scars are, like let's stop focusing on that and trusting that there's some crazy beautiful things that are woven from those places. And I think that if I wouldn't have experienced some of the loss and pain, I would never have been open to even having a foster son to see my scars, to see my freckles and my moles. Like, experiencing loss has a way of creating compassion and empathy and gentleness in us. And isn't that who Jesus is? And don't we want to be more like him? sometimes when it doesn't hurt so bad. So um, we have one more worship song, and I think maybe we should stand up for that one. And then our last one, which is Silent Night, maybe we can all gather around the table and hold hands and sing that. 
Um, and then we'll eat some dinner. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, if you're able, stand. You've been sitting for a while. could uh, work your way around the table. We'll close this part of our time together singing Silent Night.
Shepherds quick, shepherds quick at the sun. Glory stream, glory stream from heaven above. Heavenly hosts, heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Son of God, Son of God. Love's pure light, radiant beams, radiant beams from thy holy face. With the dawn, with the dawn of redeeming, Jesus, Lord, at thy Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.